Welcome to the Bad Dad Horror Podcast with your hosts, John Couture and Sierra Couture. We all have daddy issues. Ours just comes with an extra helping of blood and gore. Welcome back to the Bad Dad Horror Podcast. I'm the original Bad Dad himself, John Couture. And I'm Sierra Couture. Sierra, welcome. We made it to episode five. Yep. That's that's big. That's huge. Five episodes. Do you know how many podcasts make it to five episodes? One in every five, I'm going to You can say one in every five? I, I don't know the statistics. I didn't look it up, but it's a pretty <laughs> impressive feat. I'm excited. Well, this week we are going to talk about two films from the King of Horror. No play on his name, but Stephen King. A couple of books that were turned into movies, and it should be a fun uh, little excursion this week. Are you feeling good? Yeah. All right. Well, let's give a little brief uh, recap for those of you who may be joining for the first time. Morning. What the heck is the Bad Dad Horror Podcast? Basically, Sierra, my daughter, is 10 years old, so she's a tween, and she recently watched Stranger Things and loved it and said, Dad, I want to watch more horror films. Now, of course, as a parent... We no longer have video stores and clerks that can give recommendations or age-appropriate stuff to children these days, so we actually have to be that for our kids. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to go through some of the classic and horror films and kind of bring Sierra, as well as anyone else who's listening along, on a journey into the history of horror before we get into some of the more modern stuff. And so far, I'd say it's so good. You having fun, Sierra? Yeah. All right, well, let's buckle up and get started this week. Going, Mama. And things are gonna change around here. Which? That's Satan's power. It's nothing to do with Satan, Mama. It's me. Me. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. Satan is clever. Mama. I'm not the only one. Other people can do it. I read about it. Oh, you poor child. Don't you know? He doesn't let you know he's working through you. I know. He ended your father and carried him off. He ran away, Mama. The devil tempted him. He ran away with a woman, Mama. Everybody knows that. You must renounce this power. You must give it up. You must never use it. Our first movie this week is the 1976 movie Carrie, directed by Brian De Palma, and naturally it was uh, written by Stephen King. It is about a young girl, Carrie White, played by, um, uh. I'm sorry, you good? Played by mm-hmm. Sissy Spacek, who um, is uh, getting bullied at school, and she uh, starts her period. She becomes a woman, as it were. And um, gets bullied really hard at school, and then she also decide, also learns and develops a, a special power called telekinesis, unbeknownst to uh, the people around her. And when her bullies play a prank on her at the prom, Carrie gets her revenge in a much bloody way. All right, Sarah, we're off the bat. What did you think of this week's uh, movie, Carrie? Did you enjoy it, or did you not like it? I enjoyed it. You did. What did you like about it? Because it, it had a good storyline, I think. 
It did, and, and you know, this is a book that was written in the early 1970s, so it's it's a book that's you know almost 50 years old, which makes me feel old. Um, but it's you know it has a lot of themes that still carry through true to this day. I mean, one of the biggest is- issues in school, as you know, since you are right now in fifth grade, is bullying. And could you see a lot of the same issues of bullying that you see in school these days? Yeah, for sure. Do you do you get bullied at school, Sierra, like this? No. No? No one's ever uh, thrown female products at you in the shower after gym? No, we don't. One, we don't have showers after gym. Sure. Um, because it's in, yeah, so we don't have showers after gym, and then, like, See, that's one big difference from the 70s until now. They don't sweat enough to take showers after after, uh, gym class. And then, um... Yeah, no one really bullies at our school. So. Well, that's good. You're you're fortunate. Unfortunately, though, bullying is still a big problem in most of our schools across the country. You do go to a very special magnet school, and most of the kids there are great kids. Um, and and there isn't a real big bullying problem at your school, which is we're very grateful for. But certainly, in other schools across the country, bullying is a huge problem. And certainly, this is a film that kind of resonates even back then. What we're feeling now. Now. I wouldn't say there was a lot of blood and guts in this, Sierra. Yeah, there wasn't. But there was certainly a lot of mature themes. Um, you know, there is, uh, you, know, I, you know, again, parents beware, having not seen these movies a lot since, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you kind of forget. And while I sort of recalled the opening sequence in the shower scene, and I didn't fully grasp all of it so there is definitely um if if your kids are uh, uh you know uh, uh, or you're against there is a lot of nudity in, in uh, the, the beginning full frontal female nudity yeah. um there are a lot of themes uh, a woman become you know a young lady becoming a, a woman for the first time going through her period which you know hey see that saves us a conversation i guess we need to have later on um watching this movie what do you think you're, you're ready to go we don't have that conversation now yeah yeah, you good? Well, I already, I already knew. You already knew? You're 10 years old? I, I mean, I'm a guy. I didn't have any sisters, so I don't know. I don't know when, when, when young girls get these conversations. But thankfully, your mother has probably already prepared you. So this is good. Okay, let's move on beyond that because that is uncomfortable. That is the scariest thing for me on this podcast, talking about those issues. Um, Sierra, one of the things about Stephen King, and, and again, he is the king of horror. Eventually, someday, you're going to read his books, and you're going to love them because they are amazing. And certainly up your alley of what you want to get into. Although I think at this point, you're probably still a little too young to get into some of his books. They're just really meaty, weighty books with a lot of adult, mature um, themes in it that I think you're just a little too young. And, and while these movies... Are you talking about It right now? Well, there's It, and there's a lot of mo- a lot of books like... Uh, uh, yeah, there's just the, like the Dark Tower series and... Yeah. Um, the Stand, and there's just, I mean, there's so many, I mean, I mean, there are a million books that he's written. They're all great, but they're all mostly with mature themes that are probably just a little too older for me, maybe more in the late teens, mid-teens, 14, 15, would be a good time to start getting yeah. into some Stephen King reading. But one of the things that plays a great part in many of his novels is the idea of the supernatural, in that there's something going on beyond what we can physically see in the world around us. In Carrie, the supernatural aspect was the ability of telekinesis, which is the ability to move things with your mind. Um, do you believe in extra psychic abilities like that, Sierra? Telekinesis, things like that? I mean, I kind of. Yeah. I feel like people could get them. Sure. But, yeah, I don't know. 
Do yeah, you, I, don't, I just I don't like even the X Men or some of these uh, comic book superheroes. Do you think that's too far fetched? Yeah, it's too far fetched. Too far fetched. You don't think people can stretch their bodies? Yeah, no. run really fast, yeah. fly. No, no. But you think maybe people can move things with their mind? Maybe, yeah. Maybe. So, do you think magicians? Obviously, do you sleight a hand, which in many ways can mimic telekinesis and some of the other powers. Do you think magicians? Do you think it's? Do you think it's your actual abilities, or do you think people are pulling the wool over your eyes? Whatever the second one means, I'm assuming it means they don't really do it. Yeah, they're, the they're, second one. they're fooling you. You think a lot of it's yeah. fooling? Okay, but do you think it's possible to have telekinesis? But you think most people are just kind of fooling you? It might be possible. Might I be don't possible. Know. Okay. Maybe. You never experienced telekinesis or any of these extra special psychic abilities? No. Okay. Excellent. One of the neat things about these films is that it introduces audiences to actors um, before they even got famous. The shine, uh, excuse me, get a little little preview of the next movie. Uh, Carrie is a film that in, stars Sissy Spacek, who is a phenomenal actress, and John Travolta, who is a great actor, in, in roles before they really became famous. What did you think of seeing uh, like a like a John Travolta and Sissy Spacek in these types of movies here? Is it kind of neat to see that? Uh, who did Sissy Spacek play? Again? She played Carrie White. Oh yeah, they were really good actors. And John Travolta played the main bully guy, who got the pig's blood, he and was the driving the blood. car that at the end that Carrie kind of crashes. Oh. Yeah, big actor. <clears throat> You'll see him eventually in Grease and Saturday Night Fever and a bunch of other movies. Not really horror. I don't. I don't think John Travolta has done a lot of horror in his uh, his uh, career, but this is certainly a horror film, and he's done a, he's done a pretty good job. So, tell me about uh, some curious some things you didn't like about the movie. Is there anything you didn't care some for? Things I didn't like about the movie. Sure. Hmm. Well, I I did some things I wanted. I want to have more backstory on the mom and the father. Sure. Like how they got apart and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the only real backstory we get with where Carrie came from was her mom at the end when they had that confrontation after the prom. She comes back home, and she her mother says that you know she was drunk when her when when Carrie's dad basically raped her and she was conceived, and yeah. she was conceived by the devil. I think is what she said. She's very religious. Carrie's mom. That's another theme uh, that's really strong in, in Stephen King's uh, novels is the use of religion. Not so much being faithful, but more like being utilized by people to manipulate others using the crutch of religion as sort of a uh, jumping off point to get people to do what they want them to do, not necessarily what's the right thing to do. So, I mean, Stephen King has a, I think, with, I would say Stephen King has a very interesting relationship with religion um, yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it would be nice to know a little bit more backstory and, um, you know, there are sequels to carry. I don't think any of them really go into the backstories, particularly none of them are really well done. Um, there was a remake of Carrie, I believe in the, I want to say early 2000, maybe late 1990s, um, which was fairly well done. But again, it's, you know, when you're comparing to the original, it's such an amazing film and Brian De Palma, who is the director for Carrie, is just an amazing director. Um, did a lot of horror, uh, but he's really known for going beyond the horror um, genre. And, uh, you know, with these two films this week, you really get a good grasp of some really great directors on the way up. Although, and you could argue that Stanley Kubrick was already established by 1980. Um, 
Sierra, so let me get your final thoughts on Carrie. What what were some of the things that you enjoyed, and uh, what would you rate uh, Carrie if you were rating it out of a scale of one to ten? I really like the storyline, as mm-hmm. I said before, sure. and I like the character Sue. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I liked her a lot, and yeah. Yeah, she was. Uh, you know, she was the one survivor of the prom um and, and 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 you know she was a character who you didn't really understand what her motivations were uh, i think they were good i think ultimately you can argue they were certainly good especially at the end and being the being the only survivor i guess you're certainly supposed to come to that conclusion that she was a good character because you know she arranged for her boyfriend to take Carrie to the prom which you know really kind of set the plans in motion by the bullies to spill uh, pig's blood on her head spoiler alert if you uh, didn't know. Um, but, you know, she seemed to be not involved in the plan. It was uh, it left ambiguous throughout most of the movie, but at the end you really get the idea that she didn't know it was going to happen and she really just tried to prevent it from taking, you know, taking place. And, you know, she was one of the redeem- characters who redeemed herself, I think, um, in the eyes of Carrie Wright, and that's probably why she survived. But it also brings up a good point, which is another horror trope that we haven't really gotten into yet, but... We'll certainly play in into in spades as we move along yeah. the next few weeks. Um, is the idea of the ambiguous odd ending, where it's not quite over and you don't really know what happens um, at the end of Carrie um, Sue, who is the lone survivor, um, is shown going to the back to the place where uh, Carrie's house once stood. Um, after she gets her revenge on her mom, the house kind of implodes upon itself and disappears in a way. And so she, um, you know, Sue's putting flowers down on the, the plot where the house once stood, and then a bloody Carrie's hand reaches up and grabs her and pulls her down into it, and then it's revealed that it, that part was all a part of a dream. Um, so, you know, but again, it, you know, is it real? Is it not real? That's kind of a, one of those horror tropes that comes into it. So, again, rating yeah. it from a score of 1 to 10, where would you put Carrie on the spectrum? 8 point. you're very specific with your ratings excellent at one point we're going to start keeping track of this and finally Sierra the question I have to ask you after every movie do you think I'm a bad dad by showing you this film you don't no because it wasn't that I mean it wasn't that right and like grow like yeah and like yeah I hear you. It, it certainly there's there's definitely a lot of mature themes in the film. Um, again, full frontal nudity, which you know a lot of people have issues with. Um, we're not a family that has a big particular problem with it, um, but you know, so certainly there are some there are some uh, red flags that if if you don't particularly um, care for that situations, then you certainly don't want your children until they're a little older to be invested in that. But at, at the t- in terms of the bloody aspect of the violence, uh, you know, there, uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was certainly more violent for sure. Um, in other films that we've seen. So I, I can see that. So I, I wouldn't give myself a pass. I think it's, I, I definitely think it's more of a film that's probably better served for teens, like that 13, 14 threshold, but I think you could handle it. Any nightmares from this one? No. Excellent. Okay, well, that wraps up our discussion on Carrie. Mouse, come out wherever you are.
second film this week is also a Stephen King written film and it's The Shining 1980 film directed by Stanley Kubrick and Sierra what is the fun thing about The Shining that stood out for you uh like how the guy went okay spoiler how the guy went insane after all the time thing like really I I mean I haven't really seen that happen before Mm -hmm. like the characters always seem to be like already insane not like slowly going insane yeah with over two and a half hour film the movie spends a lot of time the book as well spends a lot of time in the in the development of Jack Torrance and his mental uh, decline as he as the isolation of being the caretaker of a shut off a cut off uh, hotel takes its toll and oh hold on one second let me one thing I should have said, I should set up a, a, a little bit of a, in case you're not familiar with The Shining, uh, the movie is about a family uh, led by Jack Torrance and his wife and young son. They are become caretakers of a resort hotel in Colorado over the winter. They spend five months in isolation taking care of the hotel, making sure that it doesn't basically get consumed by the dangerous winters. And as part of it, they're cut off from the rest of civilization. And as you would expect, being cut off, you get what's known as cabin fever, and it starts to affect Jack Torrance. And as he starts to lose his mental capabilities, his young son and his wife are put in the crossfire. And his son has a little bit of a psychic ability himself, and that lends itself into the film. I was going to say that was what was another thing that stood out for me. Sure. Um, Carrie had a psychic ability, and... um, his son, Danny, and this mm-hmm. one had a psychic ability. Absolutely. Called The Shining. Yep, it's like a telepathic type of ability. Stephen King gave it the name Shining. Obviously, it's the name of the book. It's the name of the film. And he was not the only one that had it there. Correct. Others. There are others. Um, most famously in this movie, Halloran, uh, played by Catman, uh, Catman, um, Scatman Crothers. Um, f- fabulous role. Um, is in it, and and you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, there is a sequel called Doctor Sleep that we find out there are other people that have this ability, the shining out there. So, and, and again, and this is why we kind of married these two films together. Not only are they directed by the King of Horror, Stephen King, 
are written by Stephen King, but they're also dealt deal with uh, the horror of extra special abilities that humans have if, if in telekinesis in the in the sake of carry and tele- telepathy or the shining as it were in the shining uh so again i ask you the question sierra do you believe in the telepathic ability do you believe that humans have the ability to communicate with their minds now like the way um danny had it in mm-hmm. this one sure. where he could see like dreams of stuff happening to other people sure i believe you can kind of do that okay like, so, like fortune tellers who see the future and then tell your fortune, you 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 go to a fortune teller and you believe that? No, no, not not those people. Well, I mean, I think there's. Well, I feel like people can have dreams about stuff sure. that's going to happen in the future. Like I feel like that can happen. Yeah, but I, don't I get know. that. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. Most most charlatans out there that are telling the future are really doing it to get twenty bucks off you and say, "Oh yes, you're going to have a wonderful life and be married and have three kids." But meanwhile, they care about your bucks. But I do think there are some genuine people that do have abilities. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I, and I'm going to get the total, I'm going to get the whole spe- specific percentages wrong. But, some, you know, humans on average use, I think it's like 15% of our human mind. So there's like 85% of our human mind that is unused and untapped. So, and I think people are on a spectrum in terms of how much they use of that brain, of their brain power. And if people start using more of the brain power than others, then I think that you can unlock abilities like telekinesis and telepathy. But I do think it's rare. Um, I, and I do think, interestingly enough, that in the future, uh, I think we're going to have the ability to unlock these powers. What do you think about that? I th- thought that the rumor about ha- only using 15% of your brain is fake because there are like, there's a lot of like stuff saying it's fake and a lot of stuff saying it's real. Uh, I'm not sure uh, about it being fake or not, but next t- tune in next time and we'll have a correction if uh, see if I'm right or Sierra's right. Sierra's yeah. probably right, but uh, I, I I think there is the, I, I think there is. Whether it's 15%, 30%, 80%, I do think there's a portion of our brain power that's not being used by everybody. And within that part that's not being used, we can unlock abilities. Now, I don't think we can fly and do things like that and the X-Men and what have you, but I do think, you know, we can utilize our brains to communicate. Um, you know, you're seeing some of that put into practical application where, where uh, people who suffer from MS and have lost the ability to walk and, and talk and, and their ability to communicate or being able can utilize their brain waves to um, I- interact with a computer to get their voice can, to be able to move their wheelchair or um, to communicate with people around them. So I do think really? there is the ability out there. Um, but I, th- I and I think at some point in the future, what do you think? Do you think in the future we'll be able to unlock these abilities for all humans? Maybe. And if we do have the ability to unlock it. Would you be willing to take that pill, as it were, so you can unlock these abilities? Yeah. You would. Yeah. You'd like to have those powers. What yeah. power would you like? Um, what like what are my options? Well, anything. Any Tele- options you've seen in movies? Te- you know, telepathy, telekinesis, um, being able to predict the future, being able to control the environment. Um, anything you can think of. What is hmm. what is a superpower or a extra human power that you would like to have in the future? They unlock it. Uh, predict the future. You would. Something can like stop things from happening. Yeah. Sure. Predict the future. Well, aren't you? Aren't you altruistic, Sierra? Predicting. You would like to be able to predict the future so you can stop things from happening and helping other people. Most people would say, "I'd love to predict the future so I can go get the lottery numbers and uh, win a million bucks." You wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to win the win the lottery. You'd use your power for good. 
I mean, I could use it in the lottery, but no, that was what I was thinking. So you'd be a superhero and not a supervillain? I don't know. You don't know? Well, I'd mostly use it, like, to see what would happen to, like, stop people from, like, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, stop people from, like, doing dumb things. things. So you'd be a superhero. That's pretty good. We call you Sierra the superhero. That'd be neat. Well, yeah. what would you? What would your catchphrase be? My catchphrase. Yeah, what would be your catchphrase if you were a superhero? You could see the future, and you'd help protect other people, stop people from doing dumb things. What would be your catchphrase? You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, easy, easy and to the point. Um, you know, and, and we could talk about the shining ad nauseum. We could do a whole podcast about the shining. Um, it, it is one of the only horror films that, uh, Stanley Kubrick directed. He is a, and again, I know you don't have a lot of, uh, backgrounds to Stanley Kubrick. He is a phenomenal director, well known for being meticulous in his, uh, uh, filmmaking and preparation. Everything on screen has a meaning. Um, and we saw a little bit of the, a documentary at room 237 where they, they they delve into some of the deeper you know crazy conspiracy theories surrounding the shining um about how the shining was really a um uh, uh you know a, a expose of the cruelty to native americans to anything and there's a lot of deeper meaning that people get out of the film and and there might be some truth to that cuz you know Stanley Kubrick was a director that liked to bring some of that into it. Um, but, it, you know, it, in and of itself, there are some questions that remain from the film, um, the most of which is, do you think, Sierra, it's more that Jack Torrance, played wonderful by Jack uh, by Jack Nicholson, do you think uh, Jack Torrance was completely losing his mind and seeing things, or do you think he was seeing ghosts that were actually there? Hmm. Seeing ghosts that are actually there. Right. So you're thinking he's just maybe becoming more connected with the Overlook no. Hotel. Okay, actually, yeah, well, he was, like, losing his mind. Sure. Still. He's not, like, completely fine, but seeing things. No, I, 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 I agree he's, that he's probably a little both, yeah. He's still losing his mind, but I feel like he was seeing, like, I feel like the person in the bathtub is real. But sure. when he sa- talks to the bartender, he's Lloyd, like, I yeah. always like do Lloyd. I think that he's imagining. I think Lloyd is not there, and the golden room is actually completely empty. In it's, it's true. Then if and that's if that's true, then how do you explain the photo at the end from 1921 where Jack Torrance is in the middle of the golden room and all the yes, but revelers. Lloyd wasn't in that photo. No, but I would but say But I was thinking, like, the other people are real, but Lloyd isn't. Okay. Like, he's just imagining some of the stuff. You think Lloyd is basically a reflection of Jack Torrance's subconscious? Old bartender. A bartender, yeah. Because um, you know that... But he's, he's still insane. He's not... Sure. No, yeah. no one's claiming that Jack Torrance is a sane man. But I do think... I think you, your argument has some merit because uh, Lloyd is certainly a reflection of Jack Torrance's biggest affliction, which was alcoholism. We, we learn a little bit about... The, uh, you know, again, you pointed out that The Shining was really good in terms of backstory, in terms of filling out the characters, and they spent a lot of time building that up, and we learned that Jack Torrance had a problem with alcohol and that he was physically abusive to Danny. Yeah, um, one of my points to back up what I said earlier, actually, is that um, in the film, um, I forgot what his name was, the other guy that had The Shining. Uh, Halloran. Halloran? Yep. Um, he says to Danny, like, 
the things that he sees aren't there. They aren't real. Right. But when Danny sees, like, the two sisters, mm -hmm. he sees them, and then he sees kind of, like, what they actually were. Like, they sure. were not a living. They they're not they real in terms of not physically there yeah, now. Yeah, I know. But, but they, were, they were real at one he's point. He's seen. So I think that Jack Torrance is, like, mm -hmm. seeing the things. But Danny can see the things, too. But I don't think Danny's insane. Well, I mean, no, I don't. I think he, I think Danny has... I think Danny certainly has mental issues as a result of his ability. I think that takes a, takes a uh, ways on his mind, and that's certainly not to get too far ahead in the sequel that you still haven't seen. But I do think that there are some effects of having the shining ability, which brings back an interesting th thought process because uh, both you know Danny's mom eventually towards the end starts seeing some of the things as well that are going on. She sees the room with the gentleman and the dog. And some other things going on. And the blood that, and the blood that comes out of the elevator. Yes, yeah, one of the classic scenes. No hor no, no nightmares from that scene at all, Sarah? Mm-mm. Wow. So they all start seeing things. Now, do you think, you know, Danny had to get his, his uh, shining powers from somewhere. Do you think he maybe inherited it from his father? Do you think Jack Torrance may have had the ability of shining, but yet instead of nurturing that ability, he buried it under alcohol all those years? He may have gotten it from his father, but his father doesn't just have the signing. Sure. He has the shining, is a drunk man, and is insane. So he's yep. like a combination of three bad things. Yeah, it is, certainly a, like, uh, it is certainly a perfect storm of things that come into effect and then, you know, ultimately, re you know, resolves itself in the in the wonderful picture where we put our, our podcast picture in, in terms of where, you know, Jack Torrance's uh, you know, he sticks his head through the, uh, through the, the door, door with the an axe. axe. Yeah. Here's Johnny. That's uh, what a classic scene. Um, and that's just, you know, again, uh, amazing actor. Jack Nicholson's great. Uh, Shelley. I haven't, I'm not, yep. I haven't seen the sequel, but I think, sure. I think, I think Danny is sane. You think Danny's sane? And I think the mom is completely sane. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think they, I think they definitely have a better grip on reality and dealing with whatever's going on than their dad. I think their dad certainly lost it completely. I think Jack Torrance just completely lost it. Uh, but yeah. I do think there is a better grip on reality from Danny and um, and the mom. Uh, let's talk about Danny's uh, friend. I think it was Tony. Is that right? Yeah, Tony that lived I in his mouth. I talked in his mouth and he used his finger. I guess people can't see my finger going up and down, but. Me, I was using the finger, and uh, you know who helped save them by saying "red rum, red rum, red rum" a lot. It doesn't get annoying ever. Um, do you think Tony's actions were good or bad? Yes, I do think so, and I have sure. a whole lot to tell about it. All right, well, let's hear it. So, um, when they were in the room, he wrote "red rum" on the door that they had to go through to survive. Sure. I think he yeah. knew that that door would lead them to surviving, so I think that's why he wrote "red rum" on it. Okay. And then he got louder because Jack Torrance was like hitting on the, like axing the door down, but the mom was asleep, and if um, the mom had kept sleeping, she would have been killed. True. So he kept saying, he said red rum even louder to get her to real, to wake up. And then she realized it and she went into the door that he had marked. Right. So I think he had, I think Tony had good intentions. And then Danny came back at the end. I think it doesn't show that that happened, sure. but I think Danny came back at the end. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I do think that when they escape on the snow cat, I think that Tony has, is, is, has, has gone away at least temporarily. Danny's been back full control over the body. 
And, uh, you know, when she embraces him, when, when Danny comes out of the hedge maze, I think it's definitely Danny. Um, so that makes me an interesting question, Sarah. We never asked, do you believe in ghosts? Yes. Yes, you do. Have you had any encounters with ghosts or any, any encounters that you would think about? You know, that could have been a ghost. Well, sometimes I get like poked in the back. Really? No one's actually there. Right in in this house, or just randomly at school, or in this house. But I've never, yeah, I've never, I've never like actually seen something. I just get like poked sometimes. Wow, interesting. And it doesn't happen often. I think it's happened like four times. Okay, I'm learning things about my daughter here, people on the podcast. Who knew? Yeah, I you know we joke about the house being haunted, and there'd be some things that you know not that nothing major and things move or anything gets thrown around or any things going on. But uh, you know, I, I do think I, I'm open to the idea of ghosts being real. I don't have any. Uh, one day, yep. Our the light in our laundry room just like no one had touched it. Sure. And it just like broke. Right, the the uh, glass yeah, enclosure that's on top of the, that, yeah, the glass enclosure that kind of just snaps in to the uh, fixture uh, fell and it broke and shattered into a thousand pieces. It could have been a ghost, or it could have just been faulty clips that were showing their age and needed to be replaced. Good I guess point. that's something I should have done. But I don't know, it could have certainly been a ghost. Um, and that brings us to the last point I kind of want to touch upon. Uh, you know, in the film, Jack Torrance, Wendy gets him locked, you know, knocks him out with a baseball bat and locks him into that food pantry. And he's locked in. There's no way out. And he didn't, she, uh, you know, obviously Wendy didn't let her let him out. And I, we don't think Danny let him out. In the film, Grady, the ghost, lets him out. Do you think, do you think the ghost is, does that change your f- opinion on whether Jack's completely losing his mind? Because there has to be some sort, something there to open that, that door, right? Good point, yes. I don't know, though, because, I mean, even if it is a ghost that's actually there, mm-hmm. how would it be able to open the door? And if he's imagining things, again, how would it be able to open the door? Yeah, I mean, I... So I, I, I wonder th- what let it out. That's a good point. It's one of those unanswered questions, and people spend millions of pages on the internet trying to decipher and figure it out. I do think that if it was all in Jack's head, if it was all in his head, and, and there were no ghosts or any apparitions or anything going on or any evil malevolent presence in the overlook hotel if there was none of that i don't think he would have been able to get out of the pantry uh without that help from grady so i do think whether or not ghosts are real malevolent presence i do think that what the the ghost of grady was able to affect because there are some there are some evidence out there some research that people think that ghosts are that can can have an effect on their environment they can actually make things move they can unlock doors so this is certainly a situation where that happened to let Jack mm-hmm. out. Um, although there's other people that claim that that Danny is actually the one who let uh, his dad out of the pantry and unlocked it because he knew that he, the only way to get the only way to escape was to lead him into the, the maze and kill him that way. Which again, I, I don't know if I buy that argument per se, but I think it's for me and knowing Stephen King and horror, I think it's a little easier just to accept the fact that the ghost Grady had an effect on but if the pantry. Yeah, but if Danny No, I don't think Danny did it. I no, don't agree okay. with that argument. So per se because couldn't they have just walked out the door if they, if they like if they kept him in the pantry? Couldn't they have just like walked out? Sure, I, no, absolutely. I I agree with that. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but there are people who believe it. Um there are some people okay, that Okay, I realize why now. 
Okay, what's that? Because, um, oh, well, they could have just waited for the guy to get there. In his yeah, well, the problem is I don't think, um, I don't think Danny realized he was, he realized he was communicating with Halloran, but I don't think he was, I don't think he realized that Halloran was on his way back to the Overlook. So he had no way of knowing that they were coming up with the, with the, uh, with the cat. I, you know, it's a possibility. I'd leave it about 5% possibility, but I think 95%, I'm believing it was a ghost. I'm believing it was Grady. And, you know, I think that the Overlook certainly is a place in that has superpowers or has been touched um, by so much evil that it's started to take a little bit of manifestation in the building itself. Um, I think that's pretty obvious with what people are seeing. So I just think it's one of those evil places. And speaking of evil places, we are certainly going to get into some evil places next time. But we'll get before we get to there, Sierra, I want any final thoughts on The Shining? I definitely believe that it was Gary the ghost that let him out because sure. um, when he gets out, you see Danny climb out of the pantry that he had already gotten in. Right. And you don't seem to see like any change in the pantry that could have seen that Danny got out and unlocked the door and then came back in. Yep, good point. So I think Danny didn't do it. No, I, I'm with you. I, I think it's the ghost. But there are people that believe that. There's people that believe a lot of things. Yeah. But just because they believe it and just because they post on the internet or just because they have a podcast doesn't really make it truth. We're just out here putting words out there in the in the ether. And who knows who's listening and who's paying attention. So finally, how would you rate it at a score of 1 to 10, The Shining? Um, I think it is a 9.3. 9.8 out of 10. 9.8. I believe that's the second 9.8. So two 9.8s in this episode. It's impressive, Sierra. No, the last one was 8.9. Oh, 8.9. I'm sorry. Carrie's 8.9. This is 9.8. Was this your favorite movie so far? The favorite horror film that you've seen? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And we uh, and uh, again, we always ask, do you think I'm a bad dad by letting you watch this film? No, but if you have a problem with nudity, there is a little and, bit of, again, and, female full frontal nudity, yep. And same and, and mental health issues, sure. Oh, 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 and, um, like, violence. Def, there is a huge violence. Uh, there is not too much gore, but there is a lot of violence. I mean, there's a whole hallway of blood that comes out of the elevator, so, I mean, there's a little good, bit of gore. Point. But there is more of a menacing type of violence as Jack Torrance loses his mind. He certainly becomes more. And again, I think it's a reflection of Jack Nicholson. The actor becomes such a huge presence and his evil is just pure poetry on screen. There's nothing really like it. It's hard to explain. Um, but he's perfectly cast as Jack Torrance, um, for sure. And I, I do think there's, well, I, again, I don't think the horror gore is at a big level. Sure. There's some eeriness to it. Um, I, I, I think that I'm, I'll give myself a pass because I think The Shining, beyond being an excellent horror film, is one of the, I would say, easily the top 50 movies ever made, or top 100 for sure, and beyond horror. I think it's just a film that Stanley Kubrick came together with Stephen King, and even though Stephen King has famously said that he doesn't care for this version of The Shining, um, I do think that the film is one that transcends what's written in the book, and for me, it's one of my favorite horror films. Really? Did he say that? Yep. Stephen King has famously said, and I think he's backed it off of it since the film has become has gotten such a large fan um, base behind it. But uh, yeah, he famously was not a fan of the 
a Stanley Kubrick's vision of The Shining, which, you know, it's unfortunate because I think, you know, I think it, I think, you know, a good film is one where a filmmaker, you know, puts their personal stamp on it and is able to, you know, bring something that was not on the page, as it were. And I think Stanley Kubrick certainly did that this time. I have one last thing to say. Sure. It's not really relevant, but in the scene where Mm -hmm. they're like, well, Jack Torrance is in the bar, and they're heading to the bathroom with uh-huh. Grady. Yep. You see this woman in a yellow dress. You can go back and see it, but I think at the bottom of her dress there is a red, like, blood hand. I sure. don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong because I don't know could if they came. Could be part of the design of the dress. I don't know I've if they came it. up with, like, that design for, like, horror mm-hmm. yet. That, like, but... I- I, I don't know. I think it's. Cer- I think there's certainly things to be, dis- you know, discovered. They're digging into it because I think that whole party and again, at, you know, the the film ends on that picture. So obviously Stanley Kubrick wants you to delve into it deeper. Uh, the 1921 uh, party at the Overlook, the New Year's Eve. Uh, I think it was July 4th party at the at the at the Stanley Fourth Hotel. Or oh, the Overlook. Yeah, it was the Fourth July party, and um, yeah, I think it's certainly something there. So maybe there's some part of that bloodshed. It was part of that party that we never got into. Um, maybe the maybe there was some that went on I mean, on there. something had to have happened at for that sure. party, I feel like. I completely agree as well. Well, that'll do it all for this week's episode of the Bad Dad Horror Podcast. And uh, looking ahead, uh, we kind of teased it a little bit. But next week, we're going to start getting into some places that have some horrific and terrifying things that cause horror. You can try to guess which ones, but there are two movies. I think they will, but if not, they can just wait until the sixth episode and they'll find out. So, until then, we'll we'll be be back. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back, because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back!